The Bible reading this morning is from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned this holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith, in the name of Jesus, the man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. Names are a very powerful thing. I mean, we all know that, either consciously or subconsciously. We know how good it feels when somebody remembers our name, Uh, when we know someone's name and they don't know our name, well, we have a little leverage over them there. We have a little power. Everybody knows the expression name dropping. Uh, That's where you're dropping the names of famous people that you've met or important people that you know. It can make you look more impressive because you've dropped their name. 
Names can be a powerful thing. Uh, back in my school teaching days, uh, I was casual teaching quite a bit and uh, it's a tricky thing walking into a classroom, there's 30 kids there, you've got no idea of the names of any of them. And someone told me an interesting little uh, classroom management technique. They said at the start of the day, get the kids to write their name on a piece of paper and put it on the corner of their desk so that you can walk past and see what the names of the children are. And they went on to say that if any children misbehave, you take their name away and no one in the class is allowed to refer to the person by their name anymore. Well, I thought I'd try this, but uh, stopped before we got to recess. There were kids in tears because their names had been taken away from them. I was just desperately hoping no one reported this to the principal or to their parents. What dominates this passage in Acts chapters 3 and 4 is the idea of a name. And you know which one, it's the name of Jesus. If you've got your Bible there, have a look. Chapter 3, verse 6 is the first time the word comes up, but look at how many times it comes up. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I, what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then down to verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, it says. And then again in verse 16, it's Jesus' name and faith that comes through him. Chapter 4, verse 7, by what power or what name do you do this? The religious leaders asked. It's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, they're answering. It's the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, Verse 17 of chapter 4, But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Verse 18, Jesus' name is in there again. Verse 30, the name again is mentioned. But let's go right back to the start of chapter 3. Peter and John have gone up to the temple and they've gone there for the time of prayer. Now, I might be the only one, But it seems a little strange to me that they would bother going up to the temple. Remember all the stuff that Jesus said about the temple? These are Christians now, Peter and John. There's no need for them to go up to the temple. The temple was the symbol of God's presence with his people. And it's now redundant. Jesus is the one who said, you might as well knock this down. You could turn it into a Bunnings if you like, because it has no use as a temple anymore. God is present with his people wherever they are by the Holy Spirit and they can pray anywhere. They don't have to go up to the temple to pray but Peter and John have gone to the temple and possibly there is a logical reason for them to do this, one good reason for them to be up at the temple. It's the obvious place to go if you want to talk to people about Jesus The people heading to the temple to pray are are the people who are longing that God would send a Messiah. Why not go and tell them the good news that the Messiah has come? And as Peter Peter and John enter into the temple, they see this crippled man, a man who's begged there every day. This crippled man knows that it's a good place. You're going to be catching people at a fairly soft moment if they're on their way to pray. There's a greater likelihood that they'll put a little bit of money in your collection. This man is asking for money from anyone who walks past, but Peter stops, you see it there in verse 4 of chapter 3, and says, look at us, which the man does. And Peter says, 
We don't have any money, we don't have silver or gold. But then he makes this incredible statement. But we do have something we can give you. And he says, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Now, it's a pretty remarkable miracle that happens here. This is a man who has never walked in his life, never had any strength in his legs or his ankles, but we're told that his feet and his ankles become strong. And he doesn't just walk, he actually is jumping and praising God. Now, with a miracle like this, you have to kind of realise that this is in actually a slightly wider context. Way back in the book of Isaiah, God had promised, pardon me for getting past this again, God had made this promise. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. God will come and save you. And how will we know that he has come? Well, the eyes of the blind will be open, the deaf will hear, and the lame will walk. And not just walk, they'll leap. That's what we saw in Jesus' ministry. But the miracles that Jesus did weren't an end in themselves. They're not the reason that Jesus came, but they were proof of the reason that he came. They were proof that he is God. They were proof that he could save. And Peter is saying that this miracle is still proof that Jesus can save, that Jesus can heal. Now, as you can imagine, with a miracle like this, there's a bit of a crowd who have gathered around. All the regulars at the temple, they've seen this guy sitting out the front of the temple every time they walked in there. He was up there every day begging. They knew who he was, maybe not by name, but they knew why he was sitting there, because he'd been unable to walk his whole life. And now he's not just walking, he's leaping and praising God. Well, they're not just going to walk past that. They're going to stop and see if they can find out what's happened here. And the very first thing that Peter does when people stop and stand around is clear up any potential misunderstandings. You'll see it there in verse number 12 of chapter 3. When Peter saw this, that is the crowd gathering, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk. He wants to be abundantly clear that this got nothing to do with Peter or John or their power or their godliness. And look at what he goes on to say, verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Yes, a miracle has taken place here, but it's Jesus who is at work, Peter says. It's Jesus who needs to get all the accolades for what's happened here. All of this has been done in the name of Jesus. 
I think Peter is also saying, why are you surprised? Jesus was doing this kind of stuff amongst you for years. And then he proceeds to remind them that they were the ones who handed Jesus over to be arrested. They were the ones, along with the Roman authorities, who put Jesus to death. And then Peter throws out, verse 16, a a fairly stinging little statement. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. If you have a look at the beginning of chapter 4, we see that uh, Peter is preaching and it brings about two very, very different responses. So start of chapter 4, it says, The priests and the captains of the temple and the guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about five thousand the religious leaders are furious that these guys are standing up at the temple of all places and talking about jesus but on the other hand a couple of thousand people joined the followers of jesus that day acts chapter one there were about at the beginning of acts chapter one there were about 20 or 30 people who were followers of jesus and pentecost that number grows to three thousand people And now, after just one little miracle up at the temple, the number's grown to 5,000 people. But there are two responses to this. Lives are being transformed by faith in Jesus. And there are those who are so offended by the message that they've put Peter and John into jail. It's hard to get your head around that idea, I think, isn't it? That you could be thrown into jail for healing someone. It sounds almost ludicrous, doesn't it? Wouldn't you want to just at least thank them for what they've done? But it still happens in our world today. It's hard to get exact numbers, and we're going to talk about it more as we look at the book of Acts. There are thousands of Christians who are being punished just simply for believing in Jesus. In prison camps in North Korea, Eritrea, and they're there because of that name again well peter and john appear before the religious leaders and this is what peter says verse number eight if you're like me you always had that impression that peter was the kind of dopey guy that was hanging around with jesus in the gospels pretty impressive to see what he does here then peter filled with the holy spirit said to them rulers and elders of the people if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Now, the religious leaders have absolutely no idea what to do now. They're stumped. The man was healed. He's standing there right next to Peter and John. Everybody knows what's happened. 
So they send Peter and John out and they deliberate. And look at what they say, verse number 16 of chapter 4. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Peter and John are brought back in and they're told that they're no longer allowed to talk about Jesus. Peter's response is simple. I think you'd kind of classify it as the yeah, nah decision. Verse 19. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And on their release, they go and join the other followers of Jesus and they pray. But I love what it includes in the prayer. Verse number 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. No plans to slow down. They're going to continue to talk about Jesus and they're going to do it boldly. I think when you read through Acts, you can have that little deja vu feeling. There's things that we've read in the Gospels that kind of sound like it's now being echoed here. Jesus performs miracles. He he healed people and uh, people are singing his praises. But the religious leaders are furious with Jesus for what he's done. And they're trying to figure out how to stop him. But the notable things is that the apostles take no credit for what it is that's happened. They don't, want to, they don't want to be seen as the ones who've performed the miracles. They keep pointing to Jesus and saying that he has done this. It's in his name that these things have taken place. But the big idea in this chapter, and really in the whole book of Acts, is that idea of the name. Summed up in what Peter says to the religious leaders. Verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's what we sing when we sing that song, there is no other name. Christianity is not a bunch of vague ideas about God. Christianity is not just a moral code that we ought to live by. Christianity is not just a group that you join. Christianity is about a name. It's about a person in whom we put our faith and our trust and our hope and our confidence. A person who changes our lives completely and deserves our complete devotion. And while churches may do many things in the name of Jesus, the most valuable thing that we have to give people is that name. So that they too can put their faith and their trust and their hope and their confidence in Jesus. That's our hope. That's our goal. That's our mission. To see more and more people own the name of Jesus 
for themselves.